Hello and welcome to the stack. Today we talk about an exciting new approach to new stamps. And we also look at the future of fashion criticism. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. To start the show, I'll speak to two people that are bringing a fresh touch to what every Stack listener loves, the newsstand. It's Gautier Robial, News & Coffee co-founder and managing director, and James Lafar, director of magazine distributor Ra and & Ole, and director also of News & Coffee UK. News & Coffee started in Barcelona, revitalizing the city's kiosks, and now they have plans to bring the magic to the UK as well. Gautier and James paid us a visit here at Midori House. News & Coffee is the ID. I'm going to use a coffee pun, but it percolated slowly for about two years in the mind of Pablo Pardo, who, was, who is a <laughs> um, brilliant creative mind in Barcelona, has been dedicating his life to a, a F&B concept mostly, actually, was helping restaurants and hotels to roll out um, concept in the city of Barcelona. We met together, uh, I moved back to Barcelona, I lived for about eight years until 2010, um, working in another industry then, I was working in the fashion industry, then left for Belgium and came back in 2018. And we met through a restaurant project. It's one of these partnerships that kind of happen both organically because we had shared value about how to do things and complementary on what to do. So we got talking and, and always had in the back of our head in conversations the idea of if we could ever find a format to apply a lot of the idea we had about how to do things, especially for Barcelona. Barcelona is a city that had a lot of identity crisis, if you will, you know, kind of trying to where to go with big concept like macro tourisms and, you know, everything you see in, in, in big city around the world, the prices going up and the people having to leave the city and Airbnb and all these conversations. And we always felt that the language of curation and the language of quality and doing something small would be a proof of concept that not everything has to become obsolete. We had lived it. I'm an old millennial now <laughs> and we have lived it with vinyl surviving what was announced as doom, you know, when CDs and then MP3 came and it managed to not only survive but thrived with curation and smaller shops and finding an audience and then a resurgence uh, and now being a format that is that is its whole. So we had these ideas, but Pablo knew how to execute concept and had this idea about, about newsstands for a while in Barcelona. Now the 320 newsstands, about north of a 50 newsstands have closed in the last five years because paper was deemed obsolete. It was a dying industry. There was no more room for it because of digital. A generation that was living from it was kind of slowly pushed away and we're not finding another generation willing to wake up at five in the morning and, you know, just push paper around. The industry was struggling to find answers and public administration was not really knowing how to deal with that, that crisis. So the idea designed by Pablo was simple. It was like, can we remove the noise and focus on just doing very few things, but doing them extremely well. And that was the core DNA of, of news and coffee. It was That's why the name is also so simplistic. The idea was, we'll just do that. We're not going to do food. We're just going to do news and coffee. For the news, we'll do newspapers. 
the idea behind that was to bring back the function of the newsstands because we could feel we live in the city in, in Barcelona. We're from the same neighborhoods. And Davide doesn't live too far. He's our third partner as well. So we all lived and you could see that slowly the neighborhoods were losing that soul, that collective sense of identity. You know, there's no more bakeries. No, it's mostly franchised. There's no more butchery. There's no more like there's no more this daily ritual for the older generation that got used to it, but for the younger to also kind of get a sense of identity. So everybody's kind of on their own, on their phone and still getting polarized. Right. And bringing back that moment and doing it really well. The idea was, could we prove that it's not necessarily dead? That was the idea. It was really a, not a philosophical attempt, but it was really the idea of doing, proving by doing. So we took a new stand and um, in 2019 opened it, which was a fun moment to open because three months later there was a pandemic. I don't know if you've heard about it, um, <laughs> but, but basically three months in, the world stops and shut down. It became a part of the, of the DNA of this coffee, which was how can we react and adapt instead of stopping and complaining, which is a lot of things that we see, you know, people being complacent, ah, oh, we're all going to die now. You know, this, the world is warming up and the thing and the cities are un, unaffordable and paper is dead and there's a pandemic and we're all going to die. So why, why adapt? And we're like, no, there's, there's a way through. So I, for the, I hate this type of doom chat, yeah. you know, it's really not helpful. No, and, and we're trying to have, have an 11-year-old daughter and Pablo has three. And when you want to raise the next generation into the world, we're going to say, sorry, we, we stuffed it. <laughs> so this is, this is how it ends. No, you want to prove by doing that that it's possible. And we knew the way through was, had to be a business because we wanted to prove that capitalism could be used in the right way, which is an engine, right? So we took that stand, we removed most of the traditional magazines, these weekly, bi-weekly, and instead went for curated magazine. And this is when one of the biggest virtue of the project, which is the collective thinking starting to kick in. So people who are drawn by what we were trying to do kind of got attached to the concept. One of the main person who joined in was Yael, who is my wife. Yael is a painter from Antwerp, and she all of her life had been indulging into this inspiration that these this independent magazines, these indie mags, this raw energy and passion for a random topic or specific one where and so beautifully printed. So she knew the language of interior design. She knew the language of aesthetics. She knew the language of quality. And she was like, how about we just do magazines, independent magazines? We do nothing else. We dedicate to that. And for the complement to that, the companion of that moment was going to be coffee. We had this romantic idea of the New York, you know, newspaper and a coffee to go. And we're like, could that work in a place like Barcelona? We're like, well, let's try. Barcelona has a wonderful culture of specialty coffee. It's a vibrant place for it. Davide himself is quite a voice into that space. And Pablo himself was a roaster. So we're like, yeah, we think we have all the ingredients to do something together. Let's do a incredibly high level of coffee to go, specialty grade you know, which is kind of the highest end. It's ethical coffee. We select the harvest. We roast it ourselves. But it because it's going to be in a newsstand, it's going to be for everyone. So whatever we do should be for everyone. And you found that blend of the newspapers as a ritual with the coffee and then also an opening to curation into these magazines and opening worlds. And that's how it started. And yeah, four years later, we're, we're having newsstands in Barcelona and Madrid and Valencia and, and now in, in London. And it's done every time through meeting people who were like, I, I felt something for it. The pandemic was useful for that. A lot of people came to us and said, there's also a newsstand down my road and that is abandoned. I'd like to bring it back. And we like, oh, we're actually sitting on something here. There is a tool and a recipe that we could share with the people who 
understand how we see things. And so the project became profoundly collective. It evolved since then through through curation. And for News and Coffee, I think to do well as well, you need a selection of amazing magazines, right? And I think that's why someone like you, right, James, I believe you're doing a partnership here in the UK. And I've, I've looked at some of the magazines you distribute. I mean, quite a few of them, quite a few of the editors have been here on the stack. <laughs> yeah. So that means it's a good Working selection. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah I think we, we do about 200 different titles now. We managed to issue Fusion 4. Um, Yale actually does all the curation for the News and Coffee stand, so it's not... We try and avoid being biased in any way. <laughs> we try and, try and convince Yao to be a bit more biased. But yeah. um, Tell us about the plans here in the UK uh, about news and coffee. I mean, how are you cooperating? Where can actually people go and perhaps visit one of the kiosks? Yeah, so we've got two at the moment, one in Chalk Farm, which is just by the Roundhouse, and then one directly outside Holborn Tube. The one at Holborn Tube's got a great story. So Beanie, who owns the license, who we, we helped with the sort of running the, the stand with, her granddad was my great-grandfather's best man at his wedding. So there's like a long long history between us. We really wanted to be able to help keep that new stand alive. That's how we got jumping, actually. Yeah, and that's how we kind of kicked the whole project yeah. off over in the UK. It's the oldest new stand in London. There's two that you know, compete okay. for saying they're the oldest one, but it's one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> so it was there when the tube first opened in 1880, whatever it was. Yeah, she was um, telling us um, stories of how... Yeah, Charles Dickens used to buy his new papers yeah, there. Yeah, and, and they moved it inside during, yeah, the, during the Blitz. During the Blitz, and, and it has an amazing story. Yeah, so we've got those two sites at the moment. We've got our News and Coffee on Wheels, which which you saw in Rupert Street, yeah. which is in Spitalfields Market now. We're doing some, some pop-up things with that as well. And then we're looking at some other areas this this year in the UK, South London. There's nowhere in South London where you should buy independent magazines. So there's a big there's a big gap there. West London as well. So they're the two kind of hit list places for, <laughs> for this year, I suppose. And Gautier, I mean, working here in London, do you see many differences with the Spanish customer, for example? Or, you know, or perhaps not? The city have, have a similar profile. It's a similar paradox. The soul-searching exercise that we felt in Barcelona and it's still ongoing, but we're definitely seeing we've been able, no, we didn't trigger it, but we've been able to help that kind of thinking what Barcelona could be, which is at peace with tourism and also living space for local talent to grow and express itself and people to live it. Coming into London, we felt also that inner conflict when we arrived. London is a city that's been, uh, it's of course a tier one city. It's one of the five most prestigious city in the world in terms of brand and aura and, and energy. But it's been through a lot and you feel that. I have lived in London in 2003 for one year and when I came back for, for the project I felt like, well, a piece of the soul is is missing. I don't know if it's Brexit or if it's the pandemic or if it's a combination of everything but certainly, especially Central, felt it had lost, lost a piece of its soul and, you know, everything is a franchise and everything is an office and everything is a I think it was 30% of houses in central London are inoccupied because people just come once a year. So that creates, and there was no fabric, which is this, this daily ritual. So when we arrive, it has a similar situation to the thinking in Barcelona, which is how can we help show a way? We're not the antidote. We are one you know, little example of, of what could be done. And the answer was yes. We came into Holborn, which for us was kind of counterintuitive because we come into a place where people don't really live. It's mostly office and it's going with this this different pace. You have to integrate into people's life and they have busy ones. So that was a challenge and, and the, the response we got was quite overwhelming. We're, mm. we're mostly selling magazines. People think of News & Coffee as a 
as a coffee concept, we're not. We're profoundly paper-based and we make our money and our living off paper, both newspaper and, and independent magazines. And the coffee is just a companion. It's a nice, you know, icebreaker. It's a nice conversation starter, a good cup of coffee. It goes a long way. And yeah, the, the, the Chalk Farm World one was kind of a bonus. We didn't expect it to come. <laughs> the same month. <laughs> uh, the same month, obviously Murphy's Law. It took us about a year to get the conversation going with Holborn. And then the same month, the second one came in. So, ah, oh, it's not going to be one. It's, you know, it's a bit like when you're expecting, you're expecting twins all of a sudden. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the same dynamic. Yeah. But again, because we had the culture of collective thinking, we didn't want to do London initially because we didn't know how to do logistics. We didn't know how to go to, you know, how we're going to ship coffee and papers and it's not a job and then we came to realize that oh actually if we stop thinking just through ourselves, and we open and we collaborate and we get to know people who understand what we're about profoundly then the solutions present themselves there's no evil master plan on the back of my desk you know my my purring cat and i slowly roll around and (laughs) there's not an empire plan we literally will let the project go wherever it will go and that will be based on meeting people and, and partnerships and, and understanding where there is that, that, that thirst for a soul moment. And then we'll go and deliver what we do. And then we'll have to adapt. And, and, and this is where the project had become. And it, we managed to grow, which is hard because you need to protect fundamentals and have that consistency while protecting also the individuality of every project. That, that was the, and the only key is to do that through partnership. So that's why the, the, the partnership with James and the Ryan Only guys has been like the, the blueprint for us. And okay, now we can think about anything. James, uh, out of curiosity, of course, doing here the stack, do you see any type of content or any type of magazines that people are more interested? So, for example, in the kiosks, do you see is there an appetite for food titles, design titles? What are you seeing there in the market? Yeah, I think kind of the more niche titles particularly seem to be kind of the ones that are really picking up and, and, and we, we've seen sales improving across the board. I mean, I'm trying to think of, of the best the best selling titles this year, and they've all been quite niche. You would expect in Holborn uh, yeah, current Hol- affair to do so well, yeah, and it's exactly, not. Yeah. There is a wild soul yeah, we that is to... under the skin of these hardened executive things. Like it's uh, yeah. Ray Flyers. Uh, yeah, Ray Flyers is the best selling title in Holborn. So when we've kicked off, we thought we can have a completely different range in Chalk Farm to Holborn. But yeah. it's like it works the same in both sites. You know, we thought it'd be music and, you know, that, that kind of genre that would do best stuff in Chalk Farm. But yeah, Ray Flyers, best selling title in Holborn. Even small indie title um, like Chutney is doing Chutney, very yeah. well there. And record that, culture. Yeah, it's been it's been quite boys, boys, boys. Just gonna start listing some Royal Oak titles. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plug. <laughs> plug away. Plug away. <laughs> <you> know? <laughs> no, but we've been surprised because we were expecting. Oh, I call this, and and again, this is the beauty of it. Every time we come with an expectation, and then the truth comes out, and we have to adapt to it. And it's a complete different things. It's quite funny to see, yeah, executive souls coming out of the tube which is you know morning routine you know life is hell let's go let's go after it nine to five kind of things and they come out and we have a pop of color in pink we have our own radio station we do little live gigs from the from the newsstands that we then play there so there's music and there's life all of a sudden with the great coffee and people expect us to go really fast and we won't we'll take the time and say how are you doing today let's have a chat let's have and people are like but it makes no sense you lose so many cells right because people don't go fast fine let these people go let them go. And then if one of the soul out of 100 want to stop and have a chat, we'll be there. And we'll be there for that guy because maybe that guy then is going to turn into two and into three. And, and that's enough. You need to know when it's enough for your business to be happy and then focus on, okay, what, what is the purpose of, of what we're doing? 
So it's very nice to be right in the middle of it in Holborn and to realize that when you speak, you scratch the surface, you get real souls behind that. And they love like the most intriguing magazines that you would expect. It's really, and they're open to curation. They would come to us and say, what you got? You know, we don't do a regular drop. Whenever we have enough, we'll do the drop at that moment. And they were like, what you got? Like we get there. Sofia Coppola book now, uh, or New Aesthetic from Munich, Popeye from Tokyo. Like we get this crazy title that you can't even read, right? The Japanese title. And then people have just be intrigued oh, by I love what Popeye, it is. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. So like same in Chalk Farm, we're expecting record to be, of course, the mega bestseller. But yeah, it, we keep on being surprised by what we find along the way. And finally, a question to both of you. What do you see as the future of the newsstand? Do you see like a, something like News and Coffee? I'm curious because I live for the newsstand. I think it's such an important part of my life. Both types. I like the independent ones, but I also like the commercial ones to buy mm -hmm. the daily newspapers. Yeah. But I wonder if you could give us some yeah. insights, perhaps, James. I mean, we saw so much, particularly the build-up to the pandemic and then the pandemic killing so much of, of the, the existing retail scene. And that was why we started building these wooden stands to go in concept stores and trying to find ways to create new outlets for magazines. And then what the news and coffee concept does is just it really makes it a viable business. So I think in terms of newsstands, particularly with printed media, it's going to be people adapting to that and and creating almost new outlets where they can be displayed and sold so kind of in clothing stores and places where you can have a almost like a newsstand element to it rather than just having to rely on purely on print sales i mean when you look at london when you look at new york there's barely any traditional newsstands left you know but the ones that are there they're still those real central hubs of the community like shriji around the corner you know people go there and they they serve that purpose absolutely what about you what's your final words Gautier? When we started doing coffee in the newsstands in Barcelona, it was illegal. You could not. It was literally really? one of the product. Yes. You could do souvenirs, sell Barcelona jerseys, candies, tobacco, whatever you wanted, but it was it was frowned upon. So we disrupted that and the Barcelona City Council changed the law because they saw that okay, it's a disruption we respect and we'll listen to and we'll adapt um to it. And We were having a conversation with them and they were like, oh, good news, guys, we'll allow coffee as a new thing. So we're like, don't allow coffee, allow creativity, allow for a part of the newsstands to live, to have one activity which echo with the person doing it. Because at the end of the day, the more digital grows and takes over everything, the more there will be a counterculture for physical and for human based and taking the time to, to encounter the person. And the person is going to be passionate about one thing. We found our love into what we do, which is independent magazines, and we love specialty coffee, and, you know, we love music, so this is us, but it should not be, oh, we got to do news and coffee, which may be counterproductive to the business, <laughs> but you should do you. You should spend time knowing, okay, what is it that makes me great? What is my purpose? And how can I then apply that without complex, because we've proven it's possible? I think it's more about that. And then Newsstand is a fantastic format because it has that democratic execution tone to it, which makes it for everyone. So if you respect that, we've never been arrogant to talking down to people. Our coffee, the profile we roast, is a very democratic one. Anyone can take it. The magazines we do will take the time to onboard people and explain what independent titles are. And so if you understand and respect what the format is, then within that, you can do whatever you want. But you got to first find out, okay, what am I? This is what our journey is about. But if you can just inspire people to just feel free, say, yeah, we're all not going to die. It's going to be okay. 
and and we're just one in a million example of that, then we're super proud of having brought that that voice into the big cities. Thank you very much, Gautier Robiao and James Lafar. For more, go to newsandcoffee.eu. And finally, on the show, it is always a pleasure to welcome Monaco's fashion editor, Natalie Teodosi. And I had a very important question to her. What is the future of fashion criticism and how has it changed in the last years? I think that it definitely has a role, but it has been changing drastically. And a lot of conversations, especially during the shows, that fashion criticism doesn't exist anymore. I think the rise of social media has had a lot to do with that because everyone has access to the pictures, to the shows from the second it happens. So there's not as much reliance on the journalists and the critics to tell you what is going on. And also people do form their own opinions quite quickly. So there's also less reliance on someone helping you shape an opinion. But at the same time, I think there is so much noise out there and so much going on that you do need informed opinions, people that don't just look at the clothes, that they have access backstage, they understand the business, they have spoken to the designers, and they also have context and and know about the history of fashion, the craft that is required to make all those clothes, to really help shape a 360 picture and help readers understand how the fashion industry works and what goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot more than just the dress that you see on a catwalk. Behind every single dress, behind every show, there's millions of dollars being poured into it and and a huge operation. So I think the voice of fashion critics is maybe even more important because you need people to cut through the noise and and to help you understand from all of this information that we're being bombarded with day in, day out, what's worth paying attention to and how do we form informed opinions. But do you feel fashion brands recognize that, that importance? Because you did mention social media, which of course is an extremely relevant part of it. But do you feel that perhaps brands should actually care more about fashion criticism in that sense? So fashion brands, I think, are a lot less open to criticism these days. Again, they have their own communications channels now, so they want to control the narrative a lot more. And that means they are a lot less open to giving access and to journalists. But at the same time, I think the brands and the designers are open to critics who they respect I was backstage at the Dior Om show and Kim Jones actually spoke about this and he he did say that he doesn't read reviews anymore and he doesn't find them relevant because the ultimate critic is his customer and he just wants to see who wears the clothes on the street and, and if people are wearing them on the street, it doesn't matter if a critic didn't like it. And I think that's a very valid point. But he also made another point and he said that he will read or have conversations with critics and take on the feedback, provided that it's someone that has knowledge of fashion, of the history of fashion, of his design process that can put things into context. Because given the rise of social media, online media, everyone can be a critic. A lot of people just go online without putting much thought into it. 
they have loud opinions, even in more established writers or journalists, they might have an opinion for the sake of an opinion, they might choose a sensational headline for the sake of clicks. And that has diluted the quality of fashion criticism. And I think a lot of brands and designers, this is what they're not willing to engage with, which is, I think you would agree, fair enough, right? But we're talking here about quality. I mean, are there any fashion critics that you admire today? Or if there aren't, perhaps someone from the past that you love reading when it comes to collections? Sadly, there is less and less good fashion criticism. And it's a combination of, you know, publications are investing less in this type of coverage. And, and people, they want to just work with the brands and, and make sure that the brands are happy. But nevertheless, I think there are a few interesting voices. I like Rachel Tasjian. She's the new fashion writer at the Washington Post. And I think she's she has interesting opinions, even if I don't always agree with them. I, I think she really expresses them quite elegantly. And that's another part of it. I think that good fashion critics have opinions, but they don't have negative opinions or say things in a mean way just to attract attention and for, for the sake of it. I would say Bridget Foley from Women's Wear Daily, she no longer works there or writes as much, but she was an incredible fashion critic who took her job very seriously, had informed opinions, would spend hours and hours. As I briefly worked with her in the past. I remember that she would spend hours until the early hours of the morning writing her reviews, explaining to the designers what she meant if she had something negative to say and, and build real friendships and relationships with this designer. So even when she did say something less positive, they respected it. That's amazing. Well, Natalie, now I want you to use your fashion critic hat and just give us a little insight. Were there any highlights from the shows you've seen this year, the Men's Fashion Week? But I also know you've been to the Chanel Haute Couture show. What have been perhaps some of your highlights? There's a lot of interesting things going on this season. And I think the bigger kind of theme was this return to classicism from Gucci, which has been investing in a huge rebrand to some of the smaller artisanal labels, which are really embracing the fact that their craft and, and their identity. And I think, again, fashion critics sometimes might roll their eyes and, and say that that's just boring and, and, and expected. But I think it actually takes a lot more confidence to do something that's not super loud but there's beauty in the details and and I thought that that's actually a really exciting development it's a much more sustainable approach to dressing and it's more respectful to the customer as well because you're not asking them to change their ways every six months. So I'm interested to see how Gucci will be developing, as well as brands like Ferragamo. And even I really love Armani and Canali, which I know you love as well. Xenia, it's brands that have been so consistent and I think they're finally being recognized for it. And even for us as journalists, it's an interesting challenge to have to find a story and an angle, even when 
design doesn't completely transform from uh, one season to the next and it, it's a fun challenge it's not it doesn't mean that clothes or design is boring if it's more consistent Armani is an interesting one it's quite remarkable because there was a period I mean not that people would say that Armani was boring but you know Armani was always there perhaps people didn't see the excitement but I generally feel that in the last collections there's more attention he was himself on the cover of Fantastic Man we've had so I think that that's quite interesting to see right Absolutely. And I think, of course, there's waves of popularity, for especially for a brand as big uh, as Armani, who has been around for so many years. But his kind of consistency and single-mindedness is really paying off. It's why Fantastic Man put him on the cover. And you see him even, I think he's in his 80s now, but he controls every aspect of the brand. He's the spokesperson and he sticks to his aesthetic. And it paid off even during the pandemic when so many people were suffering. His revenues stayed strong and there's just so much beauty and elegance when you go and sit at those shows you see that there's a vision and it's not for everyone and and that's a great thing and I always applaud that rather than criticize it for being boring. Thank you very much Natalie for your great insights. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor Jack Dewars. If you have any comments or queries feel free to write to me Fernando at fpandmonaco.com We're back next Saturday at 10am London time and meanwhile you can always subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.